Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, the God's holy people in Christ, and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of the faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and it truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epiphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We constantly ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding of the Spirit give, give so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit, every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened and with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Thank you for your reading this morning. Let's take a moment to go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life and for the gift of faith, for the opportunity to encounter your word through the scriptures. We pray, God, that as we hear your word today, that we might be transformed, God, that we might find in our everyday living opportunities to live faithfully for you. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. This morning, we're starting a new series here at Pittman Park called Eat This Book. Now, when you first heard that, you might be thinking, I don't want to eat any books. Uh, I've got enough fiber in my diet. Um, I don't think wood pulp is the way for me to go in that direction. And the idea of eating the book is not about actually consuming uh, the paper that makes up the scriptures, but rather the message of the gospel, the message of the scriptures, allowing it to dwell richly within us, that it might come out in ways that are surprising even for you and I. So where did this idea of eating the book come from in the first place? Well, if you look back at the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, in the first three chapters there, Ezekiel has this tremendous experience, this tremendous vision of God who stands before him and says, Ezekiel, eat this book, eat this scroll. And Ezekiel looks at the scroll and on either side of the scroll are the words of God. And, and he does as God commands, he eats the scroll and then begins to prophesy to the people of Israel. The word had the power to transform him from the inside out. Later in Revelation chapter 10, 
John is standing in the very presence of God and an angel brings John a scroll and God says to John, eat this scroll, eat this book. It will taste like honey in your mouth, but will make your stomach sour. And so John eats the scroll, he eats the book, and after consuming it begins to once again prophesy in the name of God. I believe those stories are shared with us in the scriptures to remind us that God's word has the power to transform us, to reform us, to fill us in such a way that our very lives, our very being and doing becomes an offering of grace to the world around us. We can, be so, consu- we can so consume the gospels and the truth of God that we become consumed by the power of and presence of our God, of God in our lives. So you're invited over the course of these next three weeks to do something very practical, to read along in the book of Colossians with us, to read each day one chapter of the book. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, Jonathan, Colossians is only four chapters long. Well, I don't want you just to read the book of Colossians. I want you to consume the book in the very same way that Ezekiel and John consumed the scroll. I want you to allow the words to dwell richly within you that you might be transformed by the power of this letter that Paul sends to this fledgling church in Colossae. So I've prepared for you a, a little guide, a tool for you to use in your reflection this week. It's called Lectio Divina. It's a simple way to encounter God's Word in a powerful way. What you'll do through Lectio is read the text. So read Colossians chapter 1 when you get home this morning. Then think about what it means. Spend time reading it and thinking of what the truest sense of the passage is. Then pause and read the passage again, spending time meditating on what this passage might have to say specifically to you. Then read the passage again and pray, God, open my eyes and my ears to the power of your word that I might be transformed. Then read the passage again and spend time thinking of how God might want you to live out the message and the meaning of the words that you have read. By doing this together, I believe we can allow the Word of God to dwell richly among us and in doing so transform us from the inside out. It's a simple practice, a simple way for us together to grow in our faith. This morning we are in Colossians chapter 1. Next week we'll be in Colossians chapter 2 and and then three and four in the third week of our series. But this morning, if you will, open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter one. We're looking at verses one to 14, where Paul begins to address a church that he's never been to, but has heard of from a fellow servant in Christ named Epaphras. This book reminds me of a time when I asked for instruction uh, from a a pastor friend of mine, Buddy Cooper, uh, who happened to be a youth director here at Pittman Park um, a few years back. Some of you are shaking your heads. You remember Buddy. Uh, Buddy was nearly a professional golfer when he heard uh, the call to ministry. And Buddy was still an extremely talented golfer, 
um, whenever I met him. And I was in Columbus at that time, and I was looking to play in my first tournament at the Columbus Country Club, which is literally next door to our church. And I said, buddy, I need some advice. I've never really played golf competitively. And he laughed because the first time you play golf, you never play competitively. I said, but buddy, I need some advice. Can you give me some advice on how to play well and not embarrass myself? And buddy said, I will give you the advice that I give everyone who comes to me asking for advice about golf. Hit the ball straight. When you master that, come back and see me. It's simple, right? Hit the ball straight. Of course hit the ball straight. You can spend a lifetime learning to hit the ball straight. Did you know that? You can learn a life. You can work a lifetime at trying to do this one seemingly simple task. Hit the ball straight. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul begins speaking to the community at Colossae. He says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now this is Paul's common salutation. It's how he opens nearly every letter that he writes. It's, it's, it's his, hey y'all, to the community there at Colossae. It's, it's his hello. It's how he introduces himself. And Paul has this habit of introducing himself in the same way no matter, where he ha- no matter uh, who he's writing to. In Philippians, Paul opens by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You've caught on to the format that Paul uses, right? He says, hi, y'all. My name is Paul, and I'm writing here with my friend Timothy or Epaphras or whoever it might be that's with him to God's holy people in Bullock County, in Statesboro, grace and peace. We, we laugh that Paul would write to us, but I think Paul does write to us. If we really dive into the word here, this word is not just for a first century church on the other side of the planet. These words in Colossians are words for you and words for me, words that have the power to transform every single moment of our life. So Paul, after introducing himself, begins what I think is the heart of his message to the church there at Colossae. Paul says in verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. 
So Paul is writing to a church that he and Timothy have heard about from their fellow church planter and friend Epaphras. Now, we don't really know much about Epaphras or who he is or, or what he did, except that he was from Colossae. He was a Gentile, and he planted a church there. Some scholars think that Epaphras probably heard the message of the gospel during Paul's first journey through the region of Ephesus. And Epaphras heard that message and was so profoundly convinced of God's truth that he goes back home, he goes back to his hometown, back to Colossae, and he begins to tell his friends and his neighbors and his family about Jesus. And suddenly, where there was no church, there comes to be a church. All because one man, Epaphras, took the message of the gospel seriously and then chose to live faithfully from that moment forward. He changes the spiritual, spiritual trajectory of a community simply by hearing and being consumed by the gospel and then sharing the gospel with those who are around them. Paul lets us know that Epaphras was so committed to seeing this church that he planted in his hometown grow and mature and thrive in Christ. He's so committed that he wrestles in prayer, Paul says. He wrestles in prayer for these people. Epaphras is so committed to seeing his church thrive that he even goes to Rome to visit Paul in prison so that the church might have Paul's encouragement and advice. Epaphras cared about this place. He cared about this little fledgling community of faith that God had birthed through him. So Paul writes a letter of encouragement that he sends home with Epaphras. And I love what Paul says to the church. I love this. Paul says, we've heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for all of God's people. Paul says, look, we've heard of how well you are living into the gospel, that you are indeed loving God and loving people well, that day after day you are going out and you are living the gospel which you have heard. We've heard from Epaphras of your faith and how you love the people around you well. Then he says, we've heard how the gospel is bearing fruit around the world, but not only around the world, you Colossians but right there among you because you are living out the faith which you heard. I find that fascinating because I don't know if you've read many uh, messages from, from pastors or preachers or theologians and teachers recently. I have. I've read a few. They all begin with, let me tell you what's wrong with your community and let me tell you how to fix it. Let me tell you what you're not doing right so that I can tell you something that will make it all better. How you can increase your impact. How you can evangelize Colossae. No, Paul doesn't do any of that. Paul does something incredible. Paul encourages the church. He says, church, you don't need a new program or a gimmick. You don't need a new tool or ministry strategy. You are already doing it. You are loving God and you are loving people. And by doing so, people are coming to know the saving power of Jesus Christ. And your community is transformed and is being transformed. 
Don't miss this, friends. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't need an elaborate marketing campaign to change lives and change the world. It doesn't need to be complicated or complexified. It doesn't need gimmicks. It doesn't need tricks. All the gospel needs to make a difference in this world, in our community, in our homes, in our families, is normal people like you and me committing ourselves to living faithfully in response to the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's all that was happening in Colossae. There were just men and women there who had heard the gospel from their friend Epaphras and who were committed to living faithfully in the world. And that commitment made all the difference. So in Colossae, people are coming to faith. People are growing in their faith. And the city is being transformed because of the way that this small group of Christians are living out their faith. Paul says, it's already happening, friends. It's already taking shape. But Paul goes on in verse 9, he says this, For this reason, that is because of your faithfulness, the faithfulness that you have right now, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. Now it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul says we've not stopped praying for you because these Colossians seem to get it, right? He's writing them to say you're doing a good job. You are loving God and you are loving neighbor. You are bearing fruit for the kingdom. So why would Paul say that he continues to pray for these people? Because Paul knows that there's more for them. That faithfulness is something that's not practiced in the past or in the future, but must be practiced in the present. So Paul says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Paul is saying to this young church at Colossae, and I think to us this morning, that we can't settle in with a faith that was once lived. We can't settle in with a faith that was once lived, but instead we must choose to live each day faithfully for God. I'm going to say that again. We can't settle in with a faith that was once lived. Friends, that's no faith at all. We must choose to live faithfully every single day of our life. Every moment must be sacrificed at the foot of the cross for Jesus' name and for his renown. That's why Paul not only thanks God for what has happened among the Colossians, but also prays that they might go on bearing fruit, go on growing in knowledge, go on being strengthened, and go on giving thanks. Those verbs are all present future tense, right? We want this for you now so that in the future you might continue to experience the richness of faith and life in God. Friends, faithfulness is not exercised in the past. 
It's not exercised in the future. But faithfulness to God, it happens in the present. We have no other moment that we can affect or change or transform but this moment. Following after Jesus, experiencing redemption and the forgiveness of sins happens in the here and now, not back then or someday. We bear fruit. We make disciples. We transform the world when we choose to live our everyday moments in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We bear fruit day in and day out when we encounter Jesus in the scriptures, in moments of quietness, in prayer, in serving and helping others in Jesus' name. And as we go, as you heard from Albert last week, we realize that Christ is with us, filling us, strengthening us, challenging us, pushing us on in service and in faithfulness as we go. Friends, I'm not here this morning to sell you on a new way of living out your faith. I'm here to tell you that many of you are already doing it. Your lives are already bearing fruit. But I, like Paul, want to encourage you to keep going. Live this moment for Jesus. Live the next moment for Jesus. Live the next moment after that for Jesus. Fall in love with God so that every moment can be offered to Him. So that every moment may be redeemed for Christ and for the kingdom. That's why I want you to dive deep into the book of Colossians. Because it has encouragement not just for a church in the first century, but for you and for me. So that we can be strengthened. So that we can have joy. So that we can find hope and new life in Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything new today, friends. We just have to keep going. Keep pressing in to live lives that are faithful. I want to invite you this morning to faithful living here and now. Because you too, like those believers in Colossae, have been qualified to share in the inheritance of God's holy people in the kingdom of light. Because he has rescued you and me from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. In whom we have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Our only response to such love, to such grace, to such peace, to such hope offered to us is to live this moment and every moment to the fullest for the glory of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, you call us to be faithful. And we will spend our whole lives, God, learning what that means. We will spend our whole lives, God, offering ourselves to you again and again and again that your will might be done in us that your will might be done through us. We pray today, God, as we come to this time of Holy Communion, that at the table of your grace, we might be reminded of your steadfast love that calls us not only to yourself, but sends us out into the world to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ for those near and far. We pray we, like Epaphras, would hear your gospel share it with our friends 
so that the whole, whole world might know your saving love and grace. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.